to be. We're beings made to worship and we're gonna worship something. And I'm gonna guess you're gathered here today because you want to worship our God, Yahweh God, who is powerful and mighty and worthy of our praise. I'm excited to teach you a new song. I think I'm excited because of this, this is, the, this is the story. It's one of those front to back, this is the story of God. And it boiled down is just giving him praise. Um, Kay told me this isn't a new song. <laughs> I don't not. listen to the radio, so I'm not here just doing all the radio hits. Otherwise, we would have sang this like years ago, I guess. <laughs> but if you listen to the radio, you probably already know this. But this is going to be new to our congregation, new to our collection of songs. Um, it's called King of Kings. And again, it's just a powerful story of God. And it is simple. It's a simple tune. I know you'll catch on really quick. Um, so let's sing it. Three. 
together again from the book of common prayer so we have the words on the screen let's pray this together church father in heaven who at the baptism of jesus in the river jordan proclaimed him your beloved son and anointed him with the holy spirit grant that all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant they have made 
and boldly confess him as Lord and Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. My name is Dee Green, and I have come to this church for quite a few years. Um, 41 years ago, when I first came, I was a single mom. I had two kids, and we lived in a town called West Jefferson, which is about 45 minutes away from here. And we had uh, our own church. It was a little church about 10 miles outside of West Jeff. But we had gone there for quite a few years, and we loved it. We felt really comfortable there. But then, uh, my life kind of changed. I started dating this really cool guy uh, named Harold Green. And um, this was his church. And he was established here, just like I was established in, in my church. But uh, as we began dating, uh, we started coming here for the Sunday evening service. And this became our Sunday night date. Uh, pretty exciting, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for the year we dated, I got acquainted with the people, but I didn't feel any real connection, and you know, I was still going to my church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, so I was still connected there. But um, then when we got married, and the kids and I moved to Marysville, we started coming here regularly, and this became our church except it really didn't quite feel like my church because I really hadn't made those connections yet. The kids just kind of fit right in. You know, kids are kind of more resilient than adults, but um, they just made new friends right off and they were perfectly happy here. Not that I was unhappy, but um, it just, I just didn't quite feel I belonged here. Um, but then I started getting involved in small group activities, like a Sunday school class, um, which I'm still a part of today, 40 years later. Um, it's a great class. And um, I got involved in that, uh, women's ministries activities. And one of the most fun things, and the, um, one of the things that I think we bonded through the most was the weekly softball games. Um, any of you who know Harold Green and Jean McBride, they are serious about their softball. And we had a good team uh, back then, um, and we just had the most fun going to those softball games. And the wives and kids would go, and we would just cheer them on and root for them, yell for them, and yell at them when they didn't do well. But um, through all of those things, I developed some really close friendships. And um, I have a group of people that encourage me and support me. And um, I know that I can share my feelings with them, I can be honest with them, and they won't judge me. Um, at least they don't tell me they judge me. But um, I'm confident they don't. But I have called on them numerous times. In fact, just this morning, uh, I asked a group of them to be praying for me as I did this because I am not comfortable up here. And I know they're praying. Um, another time that I called on some of them was uh, quite a few years ago now. When I first retired, um, I just didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, I was, uh, I had worked for a long time and I just felt at loose ends and didn't know what my life was going to look like, and I had some anxiety about it. But I had some friends, some close friends that I could call, and they would just let me talk, and they would try to help me talk through it, and um, they were just there for me, and I knew they were praying for me. Um, sometimes when you, well, most times when you come to a new church or in any social situation, there are groups that are already formed. And that was the case when I first came here. There were, there were groups um, of friends, and it can seem kind of daunting to try to break into those groups. But I'm thankful that I did 
Um, I had to put myself out there and be vulnerable um, and risk getting involved in their lives and letting them be involved in my life. But I'm so thankful I did because if I hadn't, I wouldn't have those friendships. I wouldn't have that closeness or that sense of belonging. And also, I wouldn't have been able to be there for them uh, when they go through their struggles. When Jesus was on this earth, he had real relationships. He invested in people. And he wants us to do the same. We're made for fellowship and community. And um, I know it's truth in my life that we are better together. I'm better because of all of you. I'm better because of the friendships and relationships that I have made here. And we're also called out to reach or called to reach out to other people outside of the church. And I feel like I can do this more effectively um, outside the church because I have such a, a support group here and I have the encouragement um, of all of you. And I feel like I can be more effective when I'm out there building relationships in the community. Um, and worshiping together is very important, and we don't want to neglect to do that, but it's those close, intimate relationships that we make, those friendships that are there um, to help us, um, to help us feel be, that we belong. Um, so if you haven't found where you fit in, keep trying. Uh, there are new Sunday school classes that were mentioned today, some collectives starting. Um, there is a place for you. And if, like me, you have found where you belong, reach out uh, to someone else and help them to find their place. Thank you. That was a little bit of false advertising. Uh, Dee said she was not a good communicator, and that is absolutely not true. You are an awesome communicator, Dee, and we really appreciated your words. And uh, Dee's somebody that's been through the church, um, through... This is the third pastor that's been here since Dee's been here, and so I, I understand that every once in a while pastors change in churches, and so it's possible to stay through pastoral transition and transition and change, and, and, and the priority is finding your connection, your relationships here, and, and we hope that you find a place, a connection. Um, it does take vulnerability, and we appreciate your words. We appreciate you and Harold, Dee. Well, we're, we're starting a new series, and we, we kind of jumped into it last week, and and the series is called Identity Crisis. And I thought I would define that. Um, identity crisis is a, is a period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or role in society. Now, that's the only time in this series that I'll read that boring definition. And can I get an amen to that, okay? Uh, but I thought it was important to kind of define the terms because that's what we're talking about. We're, we're, we're talking about this this identity that becomes confused or uncertain. And my concern for the American church is that we're suffering from a bit of an identity crisis in the church, uh, who we are intended to be. Uh, culture blends, bleeds into a church, and oftentimes a culture will begin to look more like, uh, a church will begin to look more like its culture than Jesus. And the reality is, disciples should look like Jesus more than their culture. And so Jesus calls us to this place of, of, of counterculture where we look different than those around us, that we're salt and light because we look different than the world around us. And oftentimes in the church, and in the American church, I'm seeing this more and more, uh, the American church is looking more like its culture than Jesus. Oftentimes, we are better defined in the church as consumers. And, and sometimes in the church, we can become simply consumers of Jesus. Uh, that that when, he, when it's convenient, when it's good for us, when it's something we like, th then we're all in. But when it's something that's contrary to what we want, we resist. The, the reality is... We're called to be consumed by Jesus, not consumers of Jesus. 
that, that we're called to be committed to him, to die to him, to live for him, and not live for ourselves. We're called to be disciples. And so this series, in a lot of ways, will we'll explore this concept of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And we'll, we'll touch on some of the the practices, the, the things that we do and why we do them. You know, the, why do we study the Bible and, 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 and why, do we, why do we tithe or why do we give or why do we pray or how do we pray? We'll touch on those things because disciples do those things. But to be a disciple is more than just the practices. It's the formation, it's the transformation. To be a disciple means that somehow I am being changed I am being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That I see things like Jesus sees things. That I relate to people like Jesus relates to people. That when people see me, they see Jesus bleeding through, not simply my culture. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this through the context or the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew 5. It goes through Matthew 7. And um, it begins like this in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and began to teach them. So we're going to change things. I'm going to sit and I want you guys to come stand around. No, we won't, we, won't, we won't do that. That'd be awesome if I could sit and you could stand the whole time, but that's not the way it works. Uh, so we have this interesting phrasing. Jesus has seen the crowds. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's people that are gathering around him for a lot of reasons. And he goes up on this mountainside and, and he sits down and the disciples draw near. And so I think in this little phrase, there is a distinction. There is the crowd and then there's the disciple. The, the crowd may be interested in Jesus. They may like the free meals, they may like the healings, they may like the interesting stories. But in this passage, we see that the disciples lean in. There's an old commercial, we don't see it anymore. Remember the old Merrill Lynch commercial? When Merrill Lynch speaks, people listen, right? When Jesus was speaking, the disciples were listening and when Jesus speaks now, true disciples listen. That, that we want to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, now disciple simply means learner. It's, it's somebody that's learning. There's the discipler who's the teacher, and there's the disciple who is learning. And to be a disciple of Jesus means we are learning the way of Jesus, that, that Jesus has a way of life. And, and as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not only describing a way of life for the disciples, he's describing a way of life that he lived. He's describing the way of Jesus. And, and so the disciples are leaning in and, and Jesus is teaching them his way. And, and by the way, Jesus does this more than just teaching. Jesus does this by the way he lives. In other words, there's this relationship with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus and they're seeing how he's interacting with people. And, and so they're, they're learning from his words and they're learning from his actions. Now we're going to skip down a few verses and we'll look at these verses later in the series. But we're going to pick up in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And Jesus has went through that beautiful song, the Beatitudes, and, and that, that poem, and, and he's talked about salt and light. And then in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside, any, sets aside one of these, the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Anybody else, that last phrase, bother them just a little bit? <laughs> that, that phrase is a little bit troublesome to me. And it's, let, let's, let's listen to that verse one more time. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, who were the Pharisees and scribes? Well, the Pharisees and scribes were the rule makers. They're the ones that would take the law and say, this, this is how you fulfill the law. And, 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 and here's, you know, here's how far you can walk on the Sabbath. And here's how you have to wash your hands. And here's how you have to prepare your food. And here's what you can do on the Sabbath. And here's what you can't do on the Sabbath. And this is what this command means. They, they were the interpreters of the law. The, the, the Pharisees weren't the priests. The Pharisees were the good laymen in the church. And, and, and they were the rule makers, and they were the extreme rule keepers. You know, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, and he talks about the Pharisees tithing. And he says, you know, you, you, are, so, you are such a rule keeper that you, you'll plant these little seeds and, and have these spices that are grow, and, and you'll tithe a tenth of that. They're extreme rule keepers. They, you know, they, they, they know all the rules and they keep them. And there's a lot of conflict between Jesus and these groups, these interpreters of the law. From, from the disciples' perspective, these were the guys that were keeping them out from the kingdom. These were the guys, and I say guys because it was guys, sorry ladies, in, in this culture, from, from what I understand, they, these aren't women, these are guys and they're keeping people out. They were the perfect examples. And everything that they were, the disciples couldn't be. The ones that were leaning in, the tax collectors and the sinners and the, and the prostitutes and, and the disciples, they couldn't live these lives. And, and Jesus is saying, you've got to be better than them. These were the guys that were getting all the spiritual accolades. Patted on the back. You guys are so awesome. And Jesus is saying, you got to be better than them. It's like somebody said to me, Paul, you can't run unless you're faster than Dave Eichhorn. Not going to happen. You're not going to run unless you can run further than Ryan Seifert. Ryan runs like, what, 60, 80 miles? It's insane. 33, uh, nothing then. Th think of the most perfect person you've ever met. You're not able to make it in unless you're better than them. See, I don't think, I don't think though, Jesus is talking about how righteous the Pharisees are. But I think Jesus is inviting us to look at what it means to be righteous. That, that perhaps even though the Pharisees were these great rule keepers and rule makers, that maybe they were missing the point of the law. Righteousness at its very essence means right-wise. That's what it means. It means right-wise. It, it, it means living right-wise towards God. That you are in a right relationship with God. And as we move through the sermon and, and as we move through the rest of Jesus' teaching in life, and as we, as we move through the New Testament, here's the reality. You can't live right-wise towards God if you do not live right-wise towards others. It, it's impossible. That, that, that the invitation of Jesus is not simply to have this great relationship with God, but he's calling us to relationships that are right towards others. And the implication of the teaching of Jesus, particularly as we move through this sermon, is that they were missing the whole point. They were missing what God had in mind in the law. That the point of the law was not exclusion of others, but bringing others along. 
Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his prison letters says this, that the move towards God is not inward or outer, outer worldly, and I'm paraphrasing this, but it's a move towards the people around us. In other words, Bonhoeffer suggesting that, you know, we get caught up in, our, in this personal stuff that we do, this, this, these personal prayer times. There's nothing wrong with the, those. And, and we get caught up with this outer worldly thing, this, this heavenly thing. And, and Bonhoeffer saying, listen, that the inv- invitation of the kingdom is not simply to, to love God, but the invitation of the kingdom is to love the people that are sitting around you and the people that live around you. Micah 6.8, which has become, quite frankly, at one point, Romans 12.1 and 2 was my life verse. But I, I, more and more, Micah 6.8 has become my life verse. He has shown you, O mortal. Who's mortal in here? Raise your hand. All right? Nobody's mortal. Okay? Man, I'm preaching to immortals. Um, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Two of these three commands, two of these three commands are not focused on God, but they're focused on others. Do justice. This is not protection from others. This is protection for others. This is care for others. Mercy, showing others grace, but walk humbly with your God. To walk right-wise with God is to walk right-wise with others. And the Pharisees and the scribes set this standard, and the standard was what they could live. And if you fell short, you were out. But Jesus offers something better. Discipleship is not about perfect performance, but humble submission to Jesus. He's saying, lean in. Learn from me. I am humble. Take my yoke upon you because it is easy. It fits well. You know, almost implied. It is implied. You can't be a disciple unless you're learning. And so the concept of discipleship, to say that we are disciples, says that we are still growing and changing and learning. And when we get to a point where we're not growing and being transformed and not being changed, we are no longer disciples. And I believe we're called to be disciples until the day we die. So let's stop and think about that just for a moment. What it means to be a disciple. To to be a disciple of Jesus is more than learning about Jesus. It's leaning into the way of Jesus. That's the invitation. That, That Jesus is inviting his disciples to a righteousness that's better than the Pharisees and scribes. Because it's leaning into the way of Jesus. It's leaning into relationship with others. It's leaning into transformation and change. So let me ask you, how are you doing? When we talk about being a disciple, how are you doing? Are are you a disciple? Or are you part of the crowd? Are you here for the things you can consume? Or are you here because you want to be consumed by God? That you want to be changed? Are are you leaning in? How do you lean in? Well, you know, I I think D used the word vulnerable. When you lean in, you're vulnerable. when, When you're part of a small group, when you're really part of a small group, when you're really part of a Sunday school, when you really invest in a collective, when you really serve, you're leaning in. Are you growing? Honestly, are you growing? Have have you learned anything from God in the past six months? Has God changed your perspective on anyone or anything in the past six months? You know what I found about God? If I listen, usually he changes me. 
that there's change in my life and there's things that I learn and there's perspectives that I gain. Are you living right-wise towards others? I mean, are, are there relationships that, that, that you're holding grudges? Are there relationships that, that, that you're not taking the steps that God's invited you to take? Does your spirituality draw people in or push people out? Is it inclusive or exclusive? Then one more question. Do you look more like Jesus or more like the culture? I'm going to, Brian, can you go ahead and just put some music on? Our altars are always available, and you, you can pray right where you are in your seats. But I think when we talk about these things, it's, it's really, I mean, we had a service last week, but it was kind of a weird service because we had just had one service. I guess it wasn't weird. It's not nice to call services weird. It was different, um, kind of subdued in a lot of ways. Um, so so we'll, we'll say this is the first real Sunday of 2022. And, and the question is, what do you want 2022 to look like? Um, for some of us, 2020 and 2021 have not been good years. And if we were honest, we'd say, you know, my relationship with God isn't as strong as it was in 2019. And this is an invitation to say, I'm going to let go of some of these things. And I'm going to seek, I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to learn the way of Jesus. So we're going to bring the lights down. Altars are available. We'll give you some space. And then Ryan's going to put some music on, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. I think I'm going to ask this in the reverse way. And I think the temptation as a pastor is to ask this in the, in the negative. Who feels like that perhaps your relationship with Christ has suffered in the last year or two. But I'm going to ask it in the reverse way. And I'm asking for an, an affirming raise of your hand. If you're growing. If you can honestly say you're growing. That, that you've grown in the last year. Can, can you lift your hands? Can I see your hands? See those hands? You can put them down. I'm going to pray for you and give thanks for that. But I'm also going to pray for those who didn't feel like they could lift their hand. And um, that 2022 will be a year of new growth. Lord, right now we, um, we stop and we give you praise. Because you meet us right where we're at. That you, um, you don't give up on us. Lord, the reality is, and even as I, I, I stand here before this congregation, there's times where following you feels so simple and so easy and so natural. And then there's times that I feel like I can't get one thing straight. So sometimes, Lord, I believe that's the way you build our faith. Because it's not on the mountaintops that faith grows, but it's in the valleys. Lord, help us to lean into the way of Jesus. May our righteousness truly exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Lord, may we embrace the great command to love you with our entire being and love our neighbor as ourself. May, may we be people who um, may we be people who are marked by Jesus more than we're marked by our culture. That, that when they see us, they'll know that we're different. And like the disciples, when they were different, may people note that they were with, had been with Jesus. 
Lord, I believe you're calling the church right now to be something more. Because our world needs something more. In a culture marked by division and exclusion and judgment and ugliness, may you recreate in us the heart of Jesus. May you fill this place with your Holy Spirit in such a way that when people walk into this place, when they encounter us in, their, in the neighborhoods, when they encounter us in the store, may they see something different, something that causes them to lean in, find out what's different about us. May we love, may we love our Heavenly Father, and may we love those around us whom we see. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, uh, we go with intention. We go with the realization that um, this is a special moment. But, Lord, you want to go with us wherever we go. That, that you want to fill our goings and our comings with your Holy Spirit so that we can be disciples and disciple makers wherever we find ourselves on the journey. So, Lord, in our going, help us to be making disciples, to allowing, allowing others to lean into the way of Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. He who came, who emptied himself, took on human flesh, lived among us, made himself vulnerable, gave his life for us. May, may we live and move in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.